everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers who sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. You will find many different opinions and many different approaches, and we hope that you will enjoy it as we do not censor ourselves. So consider us PG-13. Your host writers today are Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 132, an interview with Mark Shaken. Welcome, Mark. Hi, good to be here. I was so glad you reached out because when you talked about yourself in the email to me, you said that you were a lawyer that had moved into crime. Now, we've had somebody that was in journalism, and Chaz and I just love killing people. I come from InfoSec. Tell me a little bit about your journey towards writing from being a lawyer. Well, I was a lawyer for 38 and a half years, and then plus three years of law school, during which I worked at a law firm. So four decades of, of going to court in bankruptcy court. And um, I um, wasn't someone that was always interested in being a lawyer. It just kind of happened. And um, you know, you blink and it's three decades later and you're still doing it. So what I always wanted to do was write. Um, I managed to write a couple of books while I was practicing, but that's kind of brutal. You end up getting it up at four in the morning to have your quiet time to, to get a couple hours of writing in. And what I really wanted to do was to write what I wanted to write, not textbooks and, and treatises. So the whole thing just kind of came together during 2018. And I left the practice behind and thought I would start writing immediately. But when, right after I stopped being a lawyer, I experienced an incredible amount of euphoria. <laughs> and not a, an emotion that lawyers tend to go through a whole lot during their career. Um, and so that that kind of got in the way. So it took two months for me to get started writing after that. But once I, I've started, I've uh, finished two finished and published two books. I've just sent the third off to um, my editor, and I'll probably start the fourth in, at, right after New Year's. That's fantastic. So you were mostly a civil lawyer then? I was a 100% a bankruptcy lawyer. That's not criminal, right? Right, right. I was noticing that it looks like you used some of that in uh, your book, Fresh Start. Yeah, so... Hiring a bankruptcy lawyer, so failing to disclose assets. It, it strikes me that you're in a unique position to show people a lot of how the world works while at the same time taking them down beautiful fiction. Yeah, so either this is the craziest idea anyone has ever had, and there's a reason nobody writes bankruptcy um, thrillers, uh, or it, it's a it's an area, a genre that maybe at some point uh, Amazon will add to their list of many uh, genres that they have. Um, I don't think anyone else has done quite anything like this, as far as I can tell. And it is what I know, and it's always better to write what you know. There seems to be such a a, a, a lot of drama involved in bankruptcy. Because you're losing, you know, you're losing your money, your life, your whatever, something, you know, things that you love. I mean, there's there's so much things, that you, so much potential for loss, but also discovery of discovery, what you, you know, other people discover what you found. And so, I mean, I could see all sorts of ways of conflict and death and destruction <laughs> and theft and things. So it sounds really good. What did you do? How do you focus this? Yeah, so I, I I sort of have a formula because I I'm anal and I felt like I really needed to be organized. So you know the, the formula is that the each of the books in which my heroine you know appears, um, she's the bankruptcy lawyer. It will all be about something to do with finance, everything to do with the bankruptcy case because that's the client will meet her and she'll decide he, he or she needs to file bankruptcy cases and then she does that. Um, there'll be something tech in, in the books um, and something historical and something music. 
And but it's kind of a strange stew, but hopefully it worked in the first book. And I think the second book's better. I think I learned a lot from the first experience in fiction. Uh, But those are the kind of the the, the four components that that you'll find in in the books. And, And they take place in Kansas City. Are you from Kansas City originally, or is it just your favorite place to eat barbecue? Uh, it is um, definitely my favorite place to eat barbecue. And um, I know people can get very passionate about this, but we lived there for 28 years before we moved to Denver, where we live now, and um, still holds a pretty important place in my heart. And I know it best. Um, so I, setting the book in Kansas City makes it a little easier for me to pick up things historical makes my research a little easier because I, I know the city and I know what I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Um, and it was a, it's a, I know it's kind of a flyover city, but it, it's, it's a pretty amazing place for music history mm. and for civil war history. It absolutely is. So I was contemplating this um, because I'm in IT security and I watched very carefully at the Panama Papers and how somebody compromised a law firm and they discovered just how many people, let's just say, hide money in very interesting places. So the idea of forensics accounting, I think, is not new. And then there was that movie, The Accountant, that came out Mm -hmm. that was all about a forensics accountant, which kind of like a lawyer, but do you, do you go into the violence in yours at all? Are there, is there any gunplay threats, somebody holding somebody at knife point, or is it pure court drama and interpersonal uh, literary drama? Well, so far no one's gotten killed and there haven't been any guns. There's a, each, the three J, the, the star lawyer, her mentor is a guy named uh, William Pascal. So Pascal has this penchant for wild West history. So somewhere throughout each one of his little vignettes that he's going to try to use as an analogy, he'll come up with something from the Wild West that would involve guns. But in the actual present day discussions and and scenes in the book, nobody gets killed. Bankruptcy is very contentious for some of the many reasons uh, that you just mentioned. people, People want to get repaid and either somebody can't or won't repay them. Family drama and and bankruptcy has been used in a lot of different plots for motive. I mean, exactly. Impending poverty is a huge motivator for many, many actions, right? Yeah. And that's what I hope makes the fresh start interesting in that the the debtor, the one that owes the money is named Quincy Witherman. He is far from broke. And he's hidden tens of millions of dollars in in the Swiss bank accounts. So he's, he's a bad person. Uh, if, if, if you have to have everything in black and white, he's 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 bad. Um, the banker that's chasing him is equally as hideous, and and so um, you know you can almost uh, see a, um, it's sort of like a conflict between two very unlikable people. Uh, one of the reviewers called it a collision of two unscrupulous characters, which I kind of like because that that is kind of the narrative that I set up. How do you approach that then? I mean, your your main character, the lawyer, I presume we are led to like her. I hope I like her. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell us about her. You know, give me, give me yeah. a. Do you sketch out your character? What did you do to prepare to write the stories of her? Yeah, I, I did sketch it out. So she's a black um, female bankruptcy partner in a in a large downtown Kansas City firm. There are very well as of three years ago when I left the practice, there were very few black. Uh, female bankruptcy lawyers in Kansas City, anyway, and, and probably very underrepresented group throughout the United States, and hopefully that that's changing. But I decided that I wanted to have a a character who would help 
sort of reflect the diversity that that is in Kansas City and and hopefully in the United States. And while I'm not a woman and I'm not black, um, hopefully that that is okay because the motivation for doing this is to make sure that not all my characters are old white guys. Um, and and, and um, so she is from New Orleans. She went to college at Whitman College, which is in Southeast Washington, um, where she played uh, soccer and ran track. She went to law school in Topeka, Kansas, which is how she kind of slid over then to Kansas City to work. And I'm sort of feeding information about her somewhat slowly in, in what I hope would be the first three books. So we, we learn in, in, in the first book, in Fresh Start, um, that she swears, um, that bankruptcy practice does sort of lend itself in the back room to, to cussing. Um, and, you know, her mentor is this guy from Western Kansas who's, uh, who is an old white guy. Um, and, and they, they are, they are just bookends. They, they, they virtually finish each other's sentences and they're best of friends. And, and she drinks uh, Irish whiskey, uh, neat. Uh, he drinks um, wheat beer made in Kansas city. Um, and they go to the same bar in a district in Kansas city called Westport. Uh, the bar is fictional, but it's on a corner where there is a real bar. And the importance of that is that bar was a general store during the yeah. Civil War where um, slaves were, were sold um, from the basement. So, you know, you learn things about uh, 3J as time goes on. Um, but, you know, the mir- miracle for 3J was that she managed to claw her way out of the, 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 the life that she had in New Orleans to go to this great college in the Northwest and then, you know, become a powerful partner in a big law firm downtown in Kansas city. So how did you plot it out the first time? I mean, presumably you read a lot in the genre, right? I've read, I I love Michael Connelly and I've, I, I like John Grisham, but I haven't read nearly as much of his stuff as I have of Connelly's. Um, And I, I don't read. So interestingly, I don't read lawyer centric um, mysteries because they do drive me crazy. I don't watch lawyer centric shows because my wife will say, I'll, I'll jump up off the couch in the middle of one of them and said, I can't watch this anymore. That's not what happens. And I have to leave the room. Huh. You're saying that Boston legal is wrong. I, I mean, I knew it all. Yeah. Boston legal going all the way back to black and white Perry Mason, you know, with Raymond Burr, it just doesn't happen that way. Um, so I, I don't think I sketched it out based on, uh, influences that I had from my own reading. Uh, I sketched it out from, you know, things that I'd sort of dream up that could happen in a bankruptcy lawyer's life. I didn't have any clients that I knew hid assets. How do you tread the difference between how you know what is real and how things proceed, your your realistic background in the subject, and creating something that the body of work in the world that readers might expect. Did you find that to be a balancing act at all? Uh, a little bit. I, 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 I don't, I've never had any acting training, but I think what I do when I sit down to write is I, I kind of go into character. I find myself talking to the computer screen uh, uh, to try to hear what, what it would be like if, if I was um, three, three J uh, talking to her partner about her crazy client or or, or talking to the computer screen to try to hear what it would sound like if, if Pascal was on the phone with an appraiser arguing about, you know, what the land was really worth. Um, so the, the situations that a bankruptcy lawyer finds uh, he, himself or herself in repeat, um, collateral value, you know, banks, high finance, that kind of thing. And the discussions, I just sort of kind of close my eyes and try to imagine what that discussion would have been like. 
trying to hopefully stay away from actual discussions that I, I really did have d- during my practice. Because did you did you did you find yourself having to fudge the legal practice at all in order to make it I don't know comprehensible to to lay with you? So that's a great question. My wife should answer that because she was my fir- my first reader, yeah. and it came back with huge X's through page after page. Too much detail. Nobody cares. I had to listen yeah. to this for forty years at the table, yeah. and so there is a balancing act of too much information. Um, and I think that's you know that's also that's also a disease that lawyers have at cocktail parties. You can you can tell when the lawyer is talking because people start to drift away. It gets too <laughs> too detailed. And, and I think I, that's one of the things I think I've learned to do better in the, the, the next book that's gone off to the editor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on something you said there, because I have a whole bunch of friends that are lawyers, and they are the best, most hilarious drinking partners, perhaps because they see the, the deep divide between how things are and how they ought to be. That's, that could be true. That could be true. I may have overstated my case there. <laughs> I <laughs> said, don't, don't undersell it because there's a lot of humanity that goes with your your lawyer is in a lot of ways like a priest or a confessor. They are bound by certain confidentiality and trust. And is that a theme that you use a lot and explore in your books? So when when it came to light that Quincy Witherman, the client, was had lied to 3J, had lied to the IRS, had lied to the banks, and had lied to the bankruptcy judge, and had been hiding assets. Um, she goes off the deep end, um, and you start to learn just how serious she takes the the whole relationship between her and the client. And when she tells the client that the most important thing is complete transparency with her, she means it. And so when she finally, and, and throughout the whole book, there's something off about Quincy Witherman, her client, that she she knows something is wrong, but she doesn't know why. She never expected it would be that he was a felon. Um, but she knew there was something that he was holding back. And um, he then runs for the border in the book. I won't give away what happens. But one of the things that happens is the two of them talk. And you really get a, a sense of just how um, how much empathy she has while she's still furious with him. So you're a, a white man, okay? And you're saying it's a rare thing to have a Black woman. How did you get into the character of three day. I didn't want this to be a character where I was pretending like I knew what it was like to be black because I don't, I couldn't. And I, and I, I don't want it to be a character where I was pretending to know what it was like to be a black female partner at a, at a large you know, law firm in, in, in Kansas city. Cause I don't. So I'm trying to make sure that I I'm true to that because I don't think that would be appropriate. You can't research that. You, you, you have some idea what it's like if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world. But to really know what it's like, I, I, I can't, I won't be able to. So I, I, the dance is to not try to be that type of person in, in, as an author. Well, have you, have you heard feedback from Black women who've, who've commented on the character? Yeah, so I, I do. And the only, I, I've only had one n- negative feedback to the idea, and this was before the book came out, and it was it was actually from a um, a white woman, and you know it was it, it was a fair view. I'm not going to argue with her, but my, when I said to her, "Well, the consequence of what you're saying is everybody in my book will have to be an old white Jewish guy," that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, 
Um, and I would hate to say that I know what it's like to be an old white Jewish guy. I know what it's like for me to be an old white Jewish guy. So I, I, I think it just in the modern world, it gets very complicated. And yet it people should, I should, I shouldn't say what other people should do. I should be trying to write books that reflect all types of people in society. Cause my practice, I came in contact with all types of people in society. And I think that it's long, for instance, men writing women points of view and women writing men points of view. I, every time I have a male character, I'm obliged to go to my male beta readers and say, does this react authentically? Is this the way a guy would think about this? Do I need more emotion? Do I need less? And, and it's a process. I have a story with a black male character coming out any, any, any moment now in a magazine. And I, I struggled over that. And I talked to a couple of black friends and things like that. And, um, and so that's why I'm, I am curious in what your process was. And, and like I said, my, my story hasn't come out yet. So no one's yelled at me about it yet. So I'm, I'm just waiting for that. So we'll see. So I, what I did, um, but I didn't, do it as a kind of a focus group thing. I didn't want somebody to feel like I was tokenizing them and only talking to them because they were African-American. I reached out to some folks on my old law firm's diversity committee, which mm-hmm. includes people of color, you know, people of um, different, different sexual preferences. And I might have um, truly a diverse committee because their object is to increase diversity at the firm. Um, and I did talk to them about this at, and sometimes at length and sometimes in multiple conversations because there were the preliminary conversation where they had to just absorb what I was proposing to do. And then they need to think about it. And then they needed to come back and, and sort of have a discussion with me about it. So I did, I did do that type of reach out. Cool. Um, a couple of them have read the book and, and they've given me all kinds of you know feedback on the book, but n- nobody has actually given me feedback once they've read the book about the fact that 3J is African-American. Oh, good. Good. And that, I don't, maybe the, Maybe they didn't look at the back cover to see I was white. Maybe they thought yeah. I was black. Um, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they maybe they were so offended that that I won't get feedback from the person that's that offended. I don't I don't know. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's a, but I, what I do know is with social media being what it is, nobody's bashful about giving you feedback. They are not. That's you know, if you want the ah, two barrels of at least maybe not truth, but somebody's feelings at the moment. That is a good thing about social media. So what's your what's your process? What tool do you do? You sit down at a certain time of day? Do you do writing by hand? Are you on a computer? Do you use Scrivener? Tell us a little bit about how you came to write and finish books. So the lead up to, to, to the book is I do a, a fair amount of research, um, a lot of it historical because I want my historical references to be accurate, even as they're kind of fictional. I do a ton of music research because I'm sure at some point I won't get that right. And some, somebody that's even more into jazz than I am will call me to the mat on some reference that I made. That's that honestly, hopefully if Michael Connolly, you know, should it ever happen, would ever pick up one of my books and notice that his, his police character, Harry Bosch loves jazz. Well, there's a little bit of that going on in, in the book, although hopefully it's different jazz than, than his character likes. And Kansas City is you know, one of the four jazz homes for, in the United States. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the research comes first. I use um, a little Microsoft um, application called OneNote that I have on my phone and it syncs with the computer and it's sort of um, a, a 21st century version of an outline kind of tool. Um, but since I always have my phone with me, if I think of something, I can pull over and write it down in OneNote, 
and that'll then sync it to the computer and I can kind of sort it out later so that I don't lose anything. Because one of the things that I, I worry about is something that seemed genius at the time. By the time I get home, I can't remember what it was. I just know it sounded really good. That will happen. That will always yeah. happen. I, I have the perfect chapter title <laughs> that I lost while walking around the grounds of a hospital in 1986. And I mourn it still. Yes. Um, do, I, do you plot in advance? Do you use spreadsheets? How organized are you before you start writing the book? I'm pretty organized. Um, I, I do use OneNote a ton. So there's, there's a good hundred pages of information in OneNote before I go start no. writing. Um, the harder part is to sort of sort it out and organize yeah. it. And that, that's yeah. what comes next. And then once I start actually writing, I, I like to write in the morning after I have some coffee. So somewhere between 8.30 and 9, I'm at the computer. And I have a rule that I, I write for two hours. Even if I only wrote 10 words, I just sit there. And if, if I'm on a roll, the, the two hours is, is a floor, not a ceiling, so I can stay. And I like to write six days a week. Um, and I like to use Sunday to go back to what I've written and maybe give it a pass so that I'm at least a consistency, a developmental, the consistency kind of pass that whatever I'm now on isn't conflicting with something I did, you know, six or eight days ago. Um, and I'm, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I think being a lawyer kind of converted the, the happy-go-lucky me into, into um, somebody that just has to be extremely organized and this methodology for me is uber organized, but it 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 keeps me um, on the straight and narrow. So, what did, nice. what advice would you give to a writer just starting out? Are there any steps um, that uh, or missteps that you made that uh, you want to warn them about? I I I'm not sure the answer to that question because I think there isn't one uh, cookie cutter way of writing that fits everyone. Um, I I read a, a bunch of uh, information about the different ways people you know, write books or just write anything. And some people will get up at two in the morning because they had a dream and then they go over to the computer and start writing. And other people will not sit down and do that two hour session if they think they're only going to have 10 words. They'll wait to the the moment, you know, is there and then they'll sit down and they might sit there for 10 or 15 hours. So, um, you know, different people will approach this differently. And, and come out with, in any of the methods that people use, they come out with, you know, really amazing material. So I, I don't have a, a, a methodology um, advice to give other than to, to be organized, because I think whichever method that you do, especially if it's at the beginning of your writing career, like it is for me, um, the organization is a really good crutch to lean on. And what are you working on next? Um, the next book is going to be entitled, um, the one that went to the editor is Automatic Stay. And then the next one that I'll start in January is called Unfair Discrimination, which is all of these are phrases from the bankruptcy code. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that's, that's another one of the themes. A bankruptcy lawyer might get that, but hopefully if someone's not a bankruptcy lawyer, they don't need to know that in order to still enjoy the book. Um, if, if unfair discrimination is a phrase, doesn't that imply that there is such a thing as fair discrimination? So I, uh, that's great. I, I taught bankruptcy at the University of Kansas for 14 years mm -hmm. at the law school. And when we get to that phrase in, in the bankruptcy code, um, that is, we pause and we have that very discussion because it, it's an insane phrase from the bankruptcy code that Congress has had there since you know 1978. <laughs> and what were they thinking, for heaven's sakes, that, <laughs> that 
some discrimination is fair and only thing that we're worried about is the unfair discrimination stuff. It, it's a crazy phrase. I, I have to say that it might be in there because of different HR policies. When I was training to be a manager, we could, you can make decisions if you were in these states against these things, but not these others. So yes, only some were protected and some were not protected. And nobody wants to say, hey, it's okay to be bad, but we're just saying that we've made outlines for what good is. Yeah. Well, it'll give, it'll give someone in the book an opportunity to talk about how there is no such thing as, as oh. fair discrimination. So good. That's true. Good. And I just wanted to also say, I noticed, and everyone will, when we put, send them out to your webpage, that you also do photography. Yeah, that's, that, that, I've done that since I was probably 14 years old. Um, and at some point in my law career, that became a little confusing. It was a little hard to know whether I was a bankruptcy lawyer who was photographing on the side or a photographer that was running off to bankruptcy court on the side. <laughs> um, but mostly, um, mostly I do sports photography. So I've been a little unbusy during the pandemic. Um, this year was a breath of fresh air because um, my main sport, which is uh, Major League Soccer, uh, was back in business. And so was I. So I, I had a blast this year. And really a much greater appreciation for what I do on the sidelines than I had all the years before that because I took it for granted. Good, good. That's awesome. Well, we will put links to Mark's books and pictures and all the topics we've mentioned on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I had a great time. It's been lovely. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. Our podcast sponsor is Eternally Jackal Designs. And hey, thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.